Sometimes we feel it is not well with our soul. And so we pray in this moment, you would remind us of glorious truths of who you are and what you have done so that it might be well with us no matter what we face. Attend to the preaching of your word this morning for the glorification of your son, for the healing and the hope of your people. Do this, we ask, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all the redeemed said together, Amen. Amen. Little ones, let me invite you to find your teachers in the back. So if I've not had the chance to meet you, my name is Joey and I am one of the members here of Restoration Church. And I have the privilege of uh, opening God's Word this morning. And so I've been a pastor uh, for about a decade now. And I know that our life can change in an instant. The doctor's diagnosis is confirmed. A loved one dies. The betrayal of your spouse renders you numb. You didn't see the job layoff coming. The act of abuse leaves you confused and filled with shame. And in moments like this, the happy merry-go-round of life comes to an abrupt halt. And we cry out, why? Why me? Why now? And at other times, it's not so much that our life doesn't change in an instant, but it seems like it doesn't change at all. The stress never eases. The downcast soul refuses to be comforted. Anxious thoughts run rampant. Financial pressures loom. Godly desires left unmet. Confronted with our limitations daily, we want the day to end and we dread the day to come. And we cry out, why? Why this? Why me? One answer says, don't question God. He's God, you're not. Another answer says, I have no idea at all. Well, if the first answer, don't question, is too hard, I think the, answer, the second answer, I have no idea, is perhaps too soft. But what if? What if we could ask God questions? And what if? God provided some answers. Well, the good news is God welcomes us to come to him. God welcomes our questions. God God welcomes us to, to lament in our pain as we strive to trust his promises. And we will never know everything there is to know about God and his purposes. But we can know something. We can mine the depths of scripture to unearth God's purposes and promises in our life. Because here's the reality. Some of you are hurting. Your pain is real. Your emotions are raw. Your life feels like it's a wreck. For others of you, it's not that one acute thing, but it's just the unending troubles of life. And if that's not you, look to your left or look to your right. You know somebody who is facing sorrow in a real way this morning. And while I do not think for one moment one sermon is going to fix all your problems, I do believe that God's Word provides enough hope and healing that as we unfold it and apply it to our lives, there will be comfort for us. For my friends not trusting in Christ, 
I'm thankful that you've gathered with us this morning. I think there's no better place for you to be on a Sunday morning. And as we look at God's word this morning, I hope that you see something. I hope that you see that the the Christian faith, the Bible, is shockingly honest about the hardship of life. And yet, it is also gloriously hopeful. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, it's my prayer. I've been praying for you, praying for us this week, that as we look at 2 Corinthians 4, we'll see some hope in the midst of life trials. So 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he started in a city called Corinth. He's left, and now there's some, there some false teachers coming in. They're trying to discredit Paul. They're saying, look, church, Paul is too weak. He suffers too much to actually be a teacher of God. And so Paul writes this letter to show that his weakness and suffering, not only do they not discredit him, they are the very means God is using to display the beauty of Christ and the glory of the gospel. Paul's life was one filled with hardships. He doesn't write from an ivory tower. He always has hope. Two times in chapter 4. Oh, how I wish I had time to go through the whole chapter, but I don't. But two times. Verse 1 and verse 16, you'll see that Paul says, we do not lose heart. He bookends this chapter with those words. And in the middle, he unfolds a reason why he doesn't lose heart. This, this week in my journal, I wrote down about ten. I'm going to give you three. We're going to focus on verses 7 through 9 and 16 through 18. And I want to show three reasons why we can have hope in our weaknesses and suffering. Here they are. We have hope because our weakness shows God's power. We have hope because our afflictions end with but not. And we have hope, beloved, because our home is heaven. Let's look at each one of those. Our weakness shows God's power. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This treasure, what is that? What's the gospel? what Paul talks about in verses 1 through 6. He says that he boldly proclaims the truth of the gospel in the face of Christ. And what's that truth? Look at verse 4 with me. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remember what we talked about in Ephesians 6 a couple weeks ago. Satan is real and Satan is powerful. And one of his main weapons is to keep you from seeing the beauty of Jesus. Satan is fine if you treat Jesus as a hobby. As long as you don't see him as the holy God in flesh. Satan is fine if you think Jesus is a good teacher, but he wants to keep you from seeing him as glorious Lord. Why? Because Satan knows... If Jesus is nothing but a therapeutic addition to your life, he will never be the triumphant savior and solution for your life. Satan's fine if you like Jesus. But he doesn't want you to love and trust him as the only way to know God. Because then you'll have true hope, true healing, and true comfort. So what's the remedy? Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the remedy. 
It is not doing more religious good deeds. It is not doing enough good things to try to pay God off to like you. The remedy is God doing what only God can do. And just like he said in the beginning, Genesis, let there be light, and there was light and life. Now he does the same thing. He speaks into the darkened, unbelieving heart filled with sin. He says, let there be light. And unbelief is shattered. The darkness of sin is dispelled. It's swallowed up by the light of the gospel so the sinner can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's the remedy. And this is an indescribable act of unmerited mercy, ripping the scales off our eyes that we might savor Jesus. Because when we do that, we will see that Jesus is better than anything prosperity can give, and Jesus is better than anything suffering can take. Friends, is this Jesus, this gospel, your treasure? If you want to know more about that, come talk to me. Come talk to the person that brought you this morning. For my brothers and sisters that are trusting in Christ, all of us carry around this treasure. And where do we carry it? Look what the text says. We have this treasure where? Where is it? Jars of what? Really? We carry it around? in a fragile pot of nothing but hard mud? Weak, bland, common, expendable, easily broken? Yes. To be clear, Paul is not putting us down. Rather, he's making a profound statement about life that we are actually pretty weak and there is no shame in that. It's the way God has designed it to be. Why? He tells us. Look at the second half of verse 7. He tells us to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is God's design, to carry around the treasure of the gospel in weak clay pots. So Paul wants the readers to know that his personal weaknesses and suffering ensures that, that any sustaining power in his life comes not from him, but it comes from God. And so it is with us. So we show the surpassing power, the supreme beauty of God, not when we pretend our lives are ornate crystal vases. We show the surpassing power of God not when we portray polished steel, undented lives. We show the surpassing power of God when we embrace what we are. Weak, cracked, clay, Jars held together by the glue of the gospel. I hope you feel the freedom. You don't have to be something you're not. You're not omnicompetent and it's okay. If there are no cracks in your life, the light of the gospel and the goodness of God will never shine through. Let me be clear about something here though. This is not a license to sin, so grace may abound. Paul is not ordaining or celebrating immorality or iniquity. He's not rejoicing in rebellion. He's embracing weakness. I've used this illustration before, but I think it serves the point well. There's a man who carried stream, carried water from a stream to his master's house. And each day he hung a pole across his back 
with a pot on each end. One pot was perfect. The other pot had a couple of cracks. One day, the broken pot spoke to the man. He said, I'm sad. I'm I'm ashamed of myself. Why? The man asked. The pot responded, because of my cracks, water leaks out all the way to the master's house. Because of my weaknesses, I'm not as good as that other pot. And the man felt sorry for the broken pot. And his compassion, he said, tomorrow, as we walk back to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. So the next day, as they went up the hill, the fractured pot noticed the sun warming, the beautiful flowers on his side of the path. And the man said to the pot, did you notice that there were flowers only on your side? That's because I have always known about your cracks and I have taken advantage of them. I planted seeds on your side of the path and every day while we wipe back from the stream, you've watered them. And I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you, just the way you are with your weaknesses, he would not have this beauty to grace his home. Each one of us have weaknesses. All of us have to deal with issues in life we'd rather not face. We're confronted with the fact that we're not self-sufficient. And yet, here's the amazing thing. In God's great economy, nothing goes to waste. When we carry around the gospel in our clay jar life, it's an opportunity for the fragility of our life, the weaknesses in our life to display the glory of God. So that he might be seen as good and beautiful and we might have hope and comfort. And so we can cry out with the Apostle Paul when he writes this in chapter 12. But he, that is God, said to me, that is the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see what this means, church? The great danger is not our weakness, but the delusion of strength. Weakness, admitting weakness, is not a prison of hopelessness. It is a doorway to hope. Because our suffering and weakness reminds us that God's grace does not propel us toward independence. But to vertical and horizontal dependence. We need God and we need each other. And so Restoration Church, beloved, let's continue to embrace what we are. Gospel, treasure, filled, clay jars. And I praise God for how so many of you do this. That you let the gospel shine in your life. And so let's just be humble enough to admit that we're not all sufficient, that life is hard, so we can help each other tap into the endless mercies of Christ as we show His surpassing power together as God's people. Amen? So no matter what you face in life, the dark clouds of weakness and suffering lead us to the deep mercy of God. And that's good news. And because of God's surpassing power, our afflictions end with but not. We have hope because our afflictions end with but not. Look there at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See what Paul says? Paul says he's afflicted, perplexed, 
persecuted and struck down. And if you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, these are not abstract categories. Let me encourage you to go read 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11 this afternoon and just list the resume of Paul's sufferings. Here's what he's been through. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, shipwrecked, daily pressure, and anxiety. Our trials may not be like exactly like Paul's, but we will face difficulty. And notice what the text says. We are afflicted in what way? What way? Every way. Physical, emotional, circumstantial, spiritual. Because of your faith in Jesus and simply because we lived in a messed up world. <clears throat> Every way. And this is countercultural. This is not the way we like to think. See, I think if we're honest, we have these images of what life should be like. And we think life should be relatively problem-free. That over the course of our years, which are guaranteed, by the way, that there will be an upward trajectory to comfort, success, and health. The fog of the American dream sets in thicker than we realize, and, and affluence, not affliction, becomes not just our expectation, but our demand. But Scripture tells a different story. Scripture never sugarcoats life. Jesus himself says, in this world you will face trouble, tribulation. Peter tells us not to be surprised when the trial comes upon us. So Scripture prepares us for suffering, not so we'll fear, but so that we'll be ready to face it. Because the Christian faith is realistic about hardships in this life. We are weak and fragile and life is relentlessly hard. Yet notice where Paul's attention is. His attention is on the but not. Four times in this little passage we read the glorious phrase but not. And this is not about Paul's strength but God's surpassing power. God's steadfast love. Paul knows his suffering doesn't have the last word but not does. And how can Paul be so sure of this? Because he knows about the life and the death of Jesus. He knows what that was like. Because here's the thing. You see, Jesus' life, there was no but not. There was and. Jesus was afflicted and crushed for our sin like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus was perplexed and driven to despair, crying out in the garden, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Hanging on the cross, Jesus was persecuted and forsaken, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his death, Jesus was struck down and destroyed, giving up his life, though he had done no wrong. If that's all there was, we too would be crushed, despairing, forsaken, and destroyed. But there's good news, beloved. Death could not hold him. And he burst forth from the tomb, and the resurrection of the Father's amen to Jesus, it is finished. So sin might haunt us, Satan might assault us, suffering might afflict us, but not 
condemn, crush, or destroy. The resurrection is the divine stamp of but not for all those hoping in Christ. Jesus was crushed, but not you, beloved child of God. Jesus was driven to despair, but not you, beloved. Jesus was forsaken, but not you. Because the and was in Jesus' life, the but not can be in yours. And do you see what this means? You suffer, but not alone. Here's the truth. When you suffer, Satan is going to whisper in your ear, where's your God now? He's not very good, is he? He wants you to doubt the mercy of God. He wants you to be bitter towards God. But here's the truth. God loves us so much that in Christ he enters into our affliction and suffering. See, when Satan tempts you to think that God has turned his back on you, say, no, 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 Satan. He put his back on a cross for me. As John Stott says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for a cross. In the real world of pain, how could anyone worship a God who is immune to it? This is unique to Christianity, beloved. Our God does not stand far off. But He loves us enough. He knows our suffering. So we may not know, and we will not know, every reason for every affliction in our life. But we know the reason it can't be, and it can't be because God doesn't care. God loves us so much and hates sin and suffering so much that He was willing to place the limitations of humanity on Himself and the person of Christ suffer in our place so that we might have hope and healing. See, the cross demolishes Satan's questions and it redirects ours. It redirects our questions from why to who. The cross redirects our questions from why to but not. And we can have hope. So what's your affliction? Personal illness? Financial hardship? A strained relationship? Maybe you face racism. Maybe you've been violated and abused. No one escapes affliction. What are you perplexed about? Isn't it comforting to know the Apostle Paul is perplexed? How about you? Maybe you've been wronged by a close friend and you just don't know why. Maybe you're perplexed because you try with all your grace-driven might to honor Christ and you struggle to get by and that person who doesn't have a care in the world for Jesus just seems to be thriving. Maybe you're perplexed because you have godly desires to get married, to have children. And God, it's not like he's not answering, it's like he's not listening. How about persecution and being struck down? Maybe you're being chastised by a friend or family member because of your belief in Christ. Maybe you're mocked by your coworker because you shared the gospel and they think you're a fool. Maybe you're struck down. 
by bouts of just a melancholy soul. Loneliness seems to be your lot in life. All of us face the suffering and sorrow of living in a broken world. All of us. Here's the question. Where's your attention? Is it on the but not? Beloved, remember that in Christ, God's divine but not anchors your soul amidst life's most severe storms. So can I, just, can I encourage you just to memorize these few verses? But not. Literally, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, tattoo this but not on my soul. So I remember that I have hope. Because affliction ends with but not. As you hear about each other's affliction in community group, tenderly sympathize, not dismissing life's hardships, and then gently remind each other, but not. But not, beloved. Friend, if you're not trusting in Christ, know this hope is available to you. If you, if you turn from your rebellion and you trust in Christ, The but not can come into your life too. Would you do that this morning? Life is hard. But here's the good news. One one day, hard times will be no more. We have hope no matter what we face because this broken world as it is is not our home. Our home is heaven. Verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature, our inner self, is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul's physical body is telling a story ending in death. But internally, he's being renewed day by day. Outwardly, his body is weakening. His his life of suffering in this present age will soon be no more. But his inner existence, his spiritual life, all that's united and bound to Christ is being transformed one degree of glory to another as he proceeds to an ever-increasing glory and joy beyond what his mind can fathom. Paul is calling our attention toward heaven. But light and momentary? Really? Affliction and suffering can be so real, so physical, so emotional, so life-dominating, it's hard to think about anything but the present moment of pain. So let's notice what Paul isn't saying. He isn't saying hardships shouldn't weigh heavy on us. He isn't saying, ah, It's easy, just push on through. He's not even saying that our problems are light and momentary. His point is that for all those joined to Christ, suffering 
in this life compared with eternal weight of glory makes it light and momentary. That's massive. That's the comparison. See, Paul isn't being unrealistic about our problems. He's being more realistic. He knows that our problems have such an unbearable weight pressing on us. Emotional turmoil, the splintering of our soul. He knows it's so fractured that empty platitudes and cheap words will not lift the burden. The only thing to make our problems light is the immeasurable, unfathomable, incomprehensible, bottomless, unending, lavish, forever glory of heaven as we behold Christ. That's what he's saying. But what about? What about debilitating disease? Dare I say even cancer? Compared with glory, light. What about job loss and broken relationships, financial disaster, mental illness? Compared with eternity? Momentary. You see what Paul's doing, beloved. He's not minimizing suffering. He's maximizing glory. Paul is calling us to fix our eyes not on how heavy the hurt is, but on how heavy glory will be because of the pain. Notice that word preparing. I don't understand that word, but it's glorious. Somehow our afflictions now are preparing for us a special, peculiar, particular glory that will help us behold the unfathomable beauty of Jesus forever. That's amazing. So Paul's not inviting us simply to look around in comparison or calculation, but ahead in anticipation. Notice those first couple of words of verse 18. As we look. As we look. That's active. It's present tense. It's a steady gaze. Because if we're not careful, we'll tend to think of heaven like the Washington Nationals winning the World Series. It might happen someday, but it's a really long way off, so there's no reason to think about it now. But when the reality of heaven is far from our minds, these promises will be detached from our lives. So Paul is saying, look, behold, study, consider, anticipate, meditate, chew on, ponder, marvel. How? We look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. Then he tells us why. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So you see what Paul's doing? He's helping us look at the beauty of heaven by seeing the reality of what's missing. Before he directs our attention to the unseen, eternal things, he points out the truth about the visible things. They're temporary. So he's saying, listen, pay attention to what is here because that will draw attention to what is not. As one pastor says, he says it this way, 
It's like Paul is saying, you want to see what is visible? Look to what is invisible? Look to what is, is, is visible. Pay attention to it where it stops short, runs out, dries up. Trace the limits of what you can see, and there you will start to see the shape of the invisible glory to come. It's like one of those negative space logos, like ours, right? You see the C that is missing because of the R that is there. So it is we think about heaven. We see what we can't see with our eyes by looking around saying, this stops short, this runs out, I want more. And Paul's like, yes, exactly. Paul wants us to understand the vast gap between the way this world is and the way it should be because heaven isn't just a little upgrade like getting bumped from coach to first class. This world is messed up. It's corrupted. We ourselves have sinned against God. We are, have rebelled. We are corrupted. Left to ourselves, there is no hope. So Jesus is not coming just to give us a little aspirin to fix our headache. Jesus did not come just to teach us good manners for our bad behavior. Jesus came to do all the right that we didn't, pay for all the wrong that we did, and raise again so that we might hope in a better world, an eternal world with no suffering, disease, death, or sorrow. And Paul is not talking about some abstract spiritual experience. Like heaven is like this pathetic consolation for what we miss on earth. We tend to think of heaven like this cheap carnival prize that we get after we we lost all of our stuff on earth. That's not what Paul's talking about. Look at verse 14. Paul says that because Jesus was raised from the dead, he, that is God, will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's heaven, beloved. God's people in God's place enjoying God's world. This world, gloriously restored, perfected bodies, beautified creation, every pleasure enhanced, every pain removed, a place where the things that we love never pass away, a place where joys never end, all in the presence of King Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Or more simply, as one has said, heaven is the place where everything sad comes untrue. So here's the question. Will our problems or God's promises have the greater hold of our attention and affection? Look to the eternal glory to come by weeping with those who weep. Seeing what is here and yearning for what is not. Look to the eternal glory to come by rejoicing with those who rejoice and seeing what is here and yearning for what is not. Hope in heaven as you read scripture. And pay attention, not just what you're saved from, God's wrath, the reality of hell, but also pay attention to what you're saved to and for, which is God and heaven forever. Remember Nathan's sermon from Romans 8. In this hope we were saved, the hope of heaven. Make it a practice as you counsel and disciple. Use the hope of heaven to help you do that. Don't do this in a trite way. Do not be like, ah, oh, heaven's real, get over it. That's not good, not helpful, not compassionate. Share the tears. Weep with those who weep. But then proclaim the truth. Yes, we weep 
in a dark valley now. But just as sure as our tears flow, when Jesus returns, our feet will dance. Counsel, disciple with that truth. So this passage is God's gracious reminder that we can be weak because he is strong. That we can face pain with the promise of but not. Your pain and suffering is real. Don't worship a God who is immune to it. Look to the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer so that you might have hope in the midst of your suffering. And look to the day when suffering will be no more. By the light of the gospel, behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Look, the surpassing power of God is manifest in your weakness. Look, Jesus was crushed and forsaken, but not you. Look, your afflictions are light and momentary compared to the eternal way to glory. Look to Christ, beloved. In him, we have hope in the midst of every weakness, in every thing we suffer. Let's pray. God, you are glorious and good, and we praise your name this morning. We thank you for the hope of Scripture. We come and we marvel that you, Jesus, would suffer for us. Holy Spirit, take the truths and the hope of this word and apply it to our lives. That we might have hope no matter what we face. Let us yearn for heaven. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice until we get there. Do this, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the reasons, as I mentioned, Paul wrote this letter was to help those who are suffering. We read this earlier, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. So I didn't plan to preach this sermon this morning until about two weeks ago. Uh, and I was meeting with some folks that have just faced tremendous suffering. And I was like, our church need to be comforted by the way they've been comforted in Christ. And so, I've seen this happen numerous ways in our members, but most recently uh, has been through the life of Jeffrey and Monica. And so, I've been comforted by them, I've been helped by them, and so I asked them a couple of weeks ago if they, would, if they would consider sharing and living out this truth, and by God's grace, uh, for His glory, they said Yes. And so, Jeffrey and Monica, let me invite you to come up. Um, I think I'm actually going to move these over here because there's more people. Here, just take that one. Yeah. Here you go. Ow. That's not suffering, by the way. <laughs> Are you good? Complaints? All right. So, um, yeah. So, so. Not everybody knows Jeffrey and Monica, and not everybody knows why I would have them come up here. And so, uh, briefly, uh, would you just be so kind as to tell us uh, what has happened in the past 18 months? Um, Okay, so about a year and a half ago, um, it was Thanksgiving week, and around this time, we'd been living in D.C. for four months. We'd been married for five months. Um, and I ended up having to go to the hospital. Uh, so I had these like sharp pains in my stomach. We thought it was appendicitis. We were pretty good to have like a routine 
sort of procedure, um, and I find out that I have a 22-centimeter tumor in my stomach. Um, and to give you context, that can be like two newborn babies' heads or a regulation-sized football that was inside of me. Mm. They take it out, and um, after some biopsies, I find out that it's ovarian cancer. Um, and praise God that it was fully removed, but I still had to go um, undergo nine weeks of chemo. So um, now it's January, I'm about to start chemo. And also at this time, we, hadn't, we weren't walking with the Lord in the ways that we should have, so we weren't going to church. Um, we had visited a restoration a few times, and this was sort of like a wake-up call. We're like, we should probably start going to church again. <laughs> so we did. To his surpassing glory, right? <laughs> He'll use it. And, and it was during those nine weeks of chemo that was probably like the hardest time of having cancer. Um, I used to have long, straight hair that went to my waist. And last, I have curly hair now, and I celebrated this past week that I could put it in a ponytail. Um, and so it was a really hard process for me physically to endure chemo. Um, but I, I praise God for the church that wrapped around us, even when we were strangers. Um, so I guess I finished chemo in March, and then enters Jeffrey. Everything went happily ever after from there, right? No. <laughs> um, so then during that time while she's undergoing chemo, my body is kind of like freaking out. Uh, just to give an example, um, I play soccer over here uh, with DC Frey. And during one of our games, I noticed that my shoe was untied. And I was like, okay, cool. I need to tie my shoe. I get down there. My hands won't move. I'm telling my hands, like, do your thing. And they won't. Like, there's some type of disconnect. So I just managed to grab the shoestrings, pull them tight, and then just tuck the strings in. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep playing. Nothing's going on. It's a gamer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then with that, like, other things are kind of happening. My legs are acting up. So probably go to a doctor. Um, so we go through uh, an MRI eventually, do an MRI. And then, keep in mind, she just finished uh, chemo up in March. So now we're in April. And the doctor's like, you have multiple sclerosis. Um, for those of you who don't know what multiple sclerosis is, it is an autoimmune disease um, that is attacking the brain and spinal cord, ultimately the nervous system, which is why my hands were freaking out, why my legs were freaking out. Um, so that happens. Like, you have MS. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, we can't catch a break. Um, There's an easy cure for that, right? There is no cure <laughs> for multiple sclerosis. There's different types of treatment, um, but it's such an unpredictable disease. A lot of times when people hear MS, they imagine like, oh, you're in a wheelchair, which is a possibility, but then at the same time, it could be something small. Like maybe I just lose, well, and see, that's the thing, small changes. And I'm like, maybe I'll just lose control of my hand. Um, so we, we're not really sure what it's going to look like. Um, at the time when I was diagnosed, I had uh, what they call lesions um, throughout the brain and spinal cord, and those are different spots where the, my immune system has attacked. So that's where the damage is happening. I had about five. I started doing some treatment, and the next time I go in, there's, <clears throat> I think there was about six new ones, and I didn't really have context for it. So I asked my doctor, I was like, what does that mean? Like, I hear what you're saying, but what, what does that mean when you say I have six new lesions? And he just sighs, and he's like, I would be upset if you had had one new one, and you have six. And I'm like, okay, so this is bad. Um, then again, and the next follow-up, they tell me um, that I have over 20, like total, 
I have over 20 lesions. And he mentions, though, he's like, but you look fine, which is not something you're supposed to say to people with MS. <laughs> but he's like, you look fine. Like, you're still active. You can move. You can do all these things with over 20 lesions. And it, he says it doesn't make sense. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of where we're at so, now. <laughs> so you celebrate either two-year anniversary next week. So not even married yeah. two years. Move to a new place. All this starts happening. I, I'm guessing there are times when you say why. Really, Lord? Like, we just got over chemo, and now I'm diagnosed. Really, Lord? Like, why? So in those moments, be honest with, like, did you get angry? Were you, like, how did you process that aspect of wrestling with God? So I was angry. Um, (laughs) I was very angry. Um, I was very upset. Not when I had cancer. (laughs) When it happened, when I had cancer, I was like, oh, whatever. I mean, this is what I have, but I can deal with it. For me, what's been really hard has been like when Jeffrey's been in suffering and when these things have been happening to him. Um, and just to kind of jump in with that, I, and I say this uh, all the time to people, it always hits you harder when it's happening to your partner, to your spouse. So like me with multiple sclerosis, I'm like, yeah, this is not fun. But to me, I'm like, oh, no, you're her cancer. That like destroyed me almost, like her having to go through that. So it always hits you a little harder when it's happening to your spouse. So I remember after the six months follow up when he had the five new lesions, we have contacts and we actually drove home the next day and there's a 10 hour drive to Georgia. Um, and I cried for many of those hours. Um, and I wept a lot. It's been really hard. Um, but it's also been really good. Like my initial reaction shows me more about where do I put my treasures? Mm. Um, and so it's been a really challenging, but really growing time for me to use our afflictions to grow in our faith. And really question, what do my reactions say about how I love God and how I trust in God? Mm. Yeah, so we, we met, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, once I decided I don't need to preach this sermon. Uh, one of the things you said was, I, I, I began to realize that Jeffrey does not belong to me. He belongs to the Lord. Mm. How did you get there? Like, how did, how, what, I mean, what is it that, that the grace of Christ, but how did you get to that place? Um. Yeah, so that's a great question, and I think the answer, a very simple answer to that, is really God's goodness. Mm. Um, because that's not my instinctual reaction, right? And it's also, we've been through almost a year of all this, um, and where I am now is definitely not where I was when we started, and praise God for that. Um, but I really, I think, like, when I think about, like, how angry I initially got, like, how upset and hurt, how scared I was, and again, especially because for me, what's been really hard is what's happening to him has been thinking about, like, how can I be careful not to idolize a person that I love? Mm. Or maybe some other w- other ways that I have comfort on this earth. Um, because I get a feeling my reaction would be saying more to be about, like, who am I truly loving and who am I trusting in? Mm. And so even, like, something just about the, some of the treatments where we're scared about picking certain plants is that, some of them have risk that he could die. And that's been really hard because I've realized, yes, I love him, but he's only an instrument that the Lord is using to grow my faith. Mm. And I have to trust God's timeliness and how long I get to have him for. Mm. Wow. Um, when we talked on Friday... Um, afternoon, you had mentioned in your kitchen, you have this verse, the but not, I had no idea, God's providence. 
Uh, how, ha- how has the, the afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to the you know, struck down but not destroyed? These, these truths directly from God's word, you put them in your kitchen for a reason, I'm assuming. Uh, how have they been comforting to you, Jeffrey? So um, kind of a phrase I had never heard until I started coming to restoration was the term on this side of heaven, this side of eternity. Um, and a couple of people have said it. So it's really kind of thinking in that way where this is not, guys, there's, I'm trying not to, okay, this is not fun in any way. (laughs) Like this has not been like, yay, I have MS. No, you'll never hear that. Um, (laughs) If you do, that person means something else. Um, But yeah, so, but having that type of mentality where this is momentary. And I think, Joey, you really nailed it when in the sermon when you were talking about forever and ever and ever and ever. So kind of having that mentality that when our time here is done, that was just a small portion of what we have coming. Mm. So this really is momentary. Um, so again, and, when, you, when you read that in Scripture, I read it and it's easy. Like the worst thing that's happened to me is I've ruptured my Achilles tendon. Light momentary. <laughs> like, that, like when you read those words of Scripture, what, what does that do to you? Like, do you like, ah, I don't think so. Um, it's more, it's comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more comforting to know that as bad as this is or this has been, it is light and momentary. This is not forever. Mm. It will be for our time that we're here, but there's more to come. So, so this has helped you hope in heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's one thing, like, I will add, like, the afflictions that we endure right now and that we will endure because this was happening right now, more things will happen later. Um, it's thinking that, like, this helps me appreciate heaven and salvation so much more. Mm. Because even, like, I think about, and I was telling Joy, like, and I tell other people, when I did chemo, um, my veins got pretty, like, ruined. And so towards the end, um, the chemo, my, like, would seep out of my vein and go into my, into my skin, and it would really hurt. But during that time, I would remind myself that as much as this pain really hurts right now, what Jesus endured on the cross was so much worse. And I think that perspective, and that's not to say, like, well, what I'm enduring is not hard. And that doesn't take away from the pain. But it's just, like, it really gives me a whole lot of appreciation and love for what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, Because I can hope in heaven. And even if we're thinking about perspective, that this pales in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Well, man, that glory is going to be great. Because (laughs) this pain has really a lot to endure. Yeah, amen, amen. Are, are there certain things that people have done inside the life of the church that have, that have been helpful to you? So, so we often know in suffering, even well-meaning people can do or say things that aren't that helpful. Uh, and so on the flip side, are there other things? So I don't want you to tell us about those. Uh, <laughs> but do tell us, uh, are, there, you know, are, there, are there things like that was really helpful when they did that or said that? or what, like, Are there things that have helped you treasure Christ as this church body is cared for you. Yeah, so um, one of the things, like she had mentioned, 
we really weren't we weren't members of Restoration. We had only become been coming for a little bit, and then Diana uh, sends an email out to everybody explaining kind of what's going on with Monica's cancer. With your permission, um, yes, yeah, yeah. She asked. She didn't just like put it out there. Um, but so then after that, um, gifts started coming in. People were writing letters. She got coloring books. Um, people also sent food, which was great. Thank you, everybody. Um, but the church really like started being there for us. Um, something else that happened uh, that she would get rides um, to her treatment and rides back home. Uh, some even showed up to just be there with her because she was there all day. Um, getting chemo and I'm, I have to go to work. So just people being there. And then also on my end, there's been a lot of great men in the church who have reached out um, to meet with me and, and have lunch or read through a book together to have these hard conversations and kind of walk through this thing together. And that really is has allowed us to see the hands and feet of the body in action and reflect how this whole thing is supposed to look. Mm. Um, so yeah, really have, having a family, a community to go through this together has been incredible. Mm. Praise God. Is there anything else you want to share? <laughs> you don't have to. Just asking. Yeah. So I think one, and I hope that we were very clear in the way that we talked about this and in the way that also like Joey led his sermon uh, one of my concerns about coming up here was that I don't want people to come up to us and be like, wow, I am so encouraged by you. Because I think, like, that's misdirected. Absolutely, like, the Lord is working in us. But I love, like, for it to be like, we're so encouraged by what, what God is doing in you. Mm. Because, like, even at, like, I, and I'll say, like, maybe we're so, like, when I was at work, I still worked when I went through chemo. Um, and in that space, is very secular. And so people were like, wow, like, you're so amazing, like, you're so smiling and laughing, you're so working. But it's like, yes, but that's because of him. Mm. Like, all the strength and all the joy that I have is to his glory and to his namesake. Mm. And so we can only stand up here and not, like, ball in tears talking about this (laughs) because of the comfort and love and peace that he gives us. Mm. And so, like, if there's anything else that you take away from this is that we're not great. (laughs) We're not. We have struggled so hard and what you see right now was not what it was a year ago mm. yeah. but praise god for his glory and grace and the way that he works in us and through other people in this church that have been really been comforting to us during this time amen amen right to show the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us mm-hmm. Good. Uh, well i also know there are people here this morning struggling with real things so whether that's cancer whether it's lost loved ones, whether it's just hard circumstances. And so what I want to do right now is I just, I just want to pray uh, for our body. Uh, and I want to pray particularly for, for you all. You, you know who you are. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or stand up or do anything to weird or to embarrass you. But I do want to pray uh, for us. Uh, we might suffer well uh, to show the surpassing glory of God. Let's pray. God, we do come this morning and we are thankful that your word is real and it is honest about how hard life is. We're thankful that you understand our suffering 
because Jesus, you entered into it. And we praise you that you are a God who's not immune and far off. I do pray for those this morning that they have a particular issue in mind right now. Whether it's an illness, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, uh, whether whatever it is, Lord, uh, that you would, Holy Spirit, would bring comfort through your word and also through your people. Let us together show the surpassing glory of Christ together. And we do pray for healing. We pray for cancer to be eradicated. We pray for uh, relationships to be restored. We pray for you to bring hope and healing and comfort only in ways that you can. And yet at the same time, create in us a deeper longing for heaven that we would understand that this world is not our home. And with that in view, that we can consider these things light and momentary compared with the eternal weight of glory. Let our church be a church where it's okay to be nothing but hard mud, weak, and use our suffering for this to show the surpassing power of Christ that we might behold His beauty. We long for your return, Jesus. Come soon, we pray. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.